Hey everybody, welcome to the Data Center Podcast. We have with us today Jacob Smith. He's the Senior VP of Engagement at Packet. Packet is a bare metal cloud service provider. Uh, Jacob, thanks so much for coming. Hey, it's my pleasure. Um, Jacob actually wasn't supposed to be here today. We scheduled uh, with his... Doppelganger. With his doppelganger, yeah. with Zach Smith, who is also um, a founder. So they're, they're co-founders, but he's, um, they're twin brothers. So they promised everything will be the same except for the first name. Exactly the same. Exactly the same. And I confirm it's kind <laughs> it's of close enough. I mean, 70% <laughs> similar. Um, so you play bassoon. You have a music degree. Do you have much time for music these days? Not so much. No, no. Since, we, uh, since Packet kind of took off. Uh, we started Packet like a regular startup with no idea what we were really getting into, thinking it would go a lot faster than it did. So I had a little time to play some music in there. But the last two years, it's been all Packet all the time. All so, Packet all the time. So n no playing in the opera pit right now. So, <laughs> um, so uh, tell us about that uh, founding Packet. How did, um, how did that story begin? How did it happen? Yeah, how did it happen? That was, what, uh, three, four years ago? Almost four years ago. Almost four. Right. So we got started. You know, it was, it was a funny adventure. My brother and I, so we've mentioned my brother. We can talk about him, right? Uh -huh. So Zach and I. Also a musician. Also sorry. a musician. We were twins. We grew up in Southern California. Both of us went off to the East Coast to study classical music, of all things. So Zach goes to Juilliard. I go to Carnegie Mellon, of all places. Um, he quickly realizes that he can't make it as a classical musician in New York. And in early 2001, meets a guy on the internet doing this early thing called Linux servers, Raj Dutt out of RPI. And they fall into Voxel.net together. And he runs Voxel uh, for 10 or 11 years until he sells it to Internap in 2011. Internet. Internap. Mm -hmm. Right? And so, uh, you know, I go on my career. I'm running a marketing firm, doing SEO and playing music. And uh, around 2011, 2012, he's finished with his time at Internap and looking for his next thing. He's a young guy. He's 35, 34 years old. What's next? Anything but infrastructure, he said. Anything but the data center business. I barely escaped. <laughs> Wouldn't go back to there. So we spent about a year trying to think, of, oh, let's try this. What should we do? Uh, trying to find a business together. And we just kept coming back to infrastructure and thinking about how it was changing and what was going to happen next and who was going to do it. And so we, we with another co-founder, got it together and decided my background in the customer experience and marketing was actually not as crazy uh, as it might seem because this is a, you know, this is a consumer-driven world, and the experience sort of matters. So how could we uh, do that and combine experience in the data center business like he had, and uh, put something together that made sense for the next wave of innovation, the next stuff that was coming? Sure. Yeah. Um, so why did you guys settle on bare metal? Was it bare metal from the beginning? Absolutely. Bare metal all the way. Okay. So, I mean, to be honest, a lot of our inspiration came from Lance and the guys at Softlayer uh -huh. and what they did after, you know, after, you know, um, IBM took over, it felt like the innovation in the data center sort of like slowed down. Everyone was chasing the Amazon model, which was a killer model, right? Making money, growing like weeds, still are. That seemed like the right thing to do. And, and so abstracting away the hardware um, was the name of the game. And we just didn't see that as... Um, the thing that would happen after that. So after we got software to sort of understand infrastructure and it was no longer the pain of IT, sort of what was next? And, you know, kind of looked around and thought, well, when workloads get really big, when things get really important, you tend to make the hardware around the software, not the software around the hardware. So we think 
you know, that's going to mean a lot more metal and a lot more, you know, a lot more access to that infrastructure. And yet the data center is a wonky place and it was really hard to consume it. So that's why we focused on bare metal from the beginning, saying if we could provide the experience that you get in a virtualized situation, but with bare metal, then we'd have something interesting. Mm -hmm. So that's what we set out in 2014, July 2014. I see. Um, and so you guys have your own server design, from what I understand? No, we currently, um, and we have some, right? So we've right. got a, a pretty wide variety. Just a little background there, we basically right now have 18 data centers. So our latest one in Marseille, France, next one in London. Uh, so we're in 18 facilities, you know, football cities around the world. And we currently deploy only bare metal, right? So customers, there's no multi-tenancy. Uh, everything's in six to eight minutes, you know, via the API or a portal. Uh, and we focus on multiple architectures. So we do Intel x86, we do AMD, we do ARM. You know, so from that standpoint, what we're looking to do is you know consume whatever is the latest and greatest. So in some cases, we've had to go and make our own designs. Like in the case of a, you know our Cavium ThunderX server, we worked with Foxconn directly on that. Uh -huh. But when it came to you know the latest AMD build, we did it with Dell and their new R series. I see. Yep. And you, you mentioned Marseille. That's that's a new location for you guys, right? Yep. Relatively new. Yeah, um, just about six weeks ago. Yeah. Six weeks ago. Yeah. Are you, I assume, with Interaction there? Yeah, we're with Interaction. Nice uh -huh. campus. Yeah. Is that the um, the older campus or or brand new? The, is that the one that's in inside the um, submarine bunker? Oh, is that what it is? I mean, I saw some cool pictures. On but the water? <laughs> yeah, on the water, exactly. So they got that up and running. I was yeah. just there um, about a year ago. Yeah, very cool. And they were just starting to build it. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a, I mean, Interaction's a good partner with us in Amsterdam. And so it made a lot of sense. But the reason we went to Marseille was really for a customer of ours who wanted to be, you know, there's more and more of these latency-specific use cases. And so this was a mobile gaming uh, a startup that came out of Rovio called Hatch. Uh -huh. And so they wanted to demonstrate um, their technology at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. So what's closer to Barcelona? Marseille. So we were able to cut latency you know, by you know, 60% by moving from Amsterdam to Marseille. We deployed a bunch of custom uh, you know, ARM servers for them there. And uh, they were up and running in three weeks. On ARM? On ARM. Um, so and are they still there then? Yeah, um, yeah no. they'll keep it going. Yeah. Mobile They're World expanding. Congress is... Okay. That was just the it's the reason to put the pin on the map. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so that's that's a big location for uh, for serving North Africa, North Africa and Middle East, and, 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 right? And exactly. I mean, there's not a lot of great places in Africa, so that's a great place to do it. And you could just follow the undersea cables, and they all kind of go there. Yeah, they all kind of converge in Marseille. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so talk about ARM V8. You guys, uh, when 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 did that launch and, mm -hmm. and why? Yeah. So we've been in the ARM uh, the ARM bare metal business about as long as anyone, <laughs> right. which isn't that long, right? right? And the question is always like, why? I mean, there's not like some massive group of people waiting to buy ARM servers, especially 16 months ago when we went into it. This is November 2016. We launched our first ARM server, which was a Cavium-based Thunder X. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we did it, well, first of all, to prove the idea of multi-architecture, right? That that was, we think that's going to be more and more important. And, you know, we got to get people used to it, comfortable. we got to develop the ecosystems. we got to give people access to build servers that aren't Raspberry Pis, right? So, but the reason why ARM is really because we were looking at a world where we thought there would be a lot more diversity of hardware coming, you know, whether it's self-driving cars or VR or whatever, we thought there would be more than, you know, Intel Xeon. Intel Xeon's great, but 
we thought there would be a lot more. And that led us straight to the ARM ecosystem, which is super diverse. It's mm -hmm. everything from embedded all the way through to, you know, Apple, you know, licensing a core and making a chip. Um, so that was kind of the reason why we thought as closer we get to the edge and further out and do more weird stuff, we're going to run a lot more ARM. So we wanted to be in on it. And uh, it's been actually a great experience. Uh, because the best the best result is when people, you know, whether they're doing cloud native stuff like you know Docker now builds on, on ARM, and we've been part of the project with ARM called Works on ARM, where we help to give out resources to open source projects, to build natively on ARM. Um, the best compliment is that they're architecture agnostic. You know, they're just looking for the right resource in the right place at the right price. Right. And What's that's been great. Why does, for Hedge, um, why was ARM appropriate for them? Um, I believe, and you know, they'd have to speak more to their own technology, but they're basically, you know, trying to, and they started on Android, okay? And they're essentially running the instance of the game in the data center versus on your handset. So that, first of all, power consumption way less on your phone, right? You're not using your processor to run a game. You're simply using it as a dumb display. Right. And so they're running, I think, each instance of each game on a core. And so... Cheap cores, lots of them, ARM. Okay. Right. Seems a bit difficult to scale, but um... I imagine they've got great ideas on how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's 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 multi-tenant first of all, mm -hmm. so it's not, you know, it's not f fully isolated. But so far, they've been doing great. They started in Europe, obviously, so Finland and these other places where they have a base. Um, but they're expanding rapidly, and we, they've been a great customer of ours. In November, AWS. I've heard of them. Wait, uh, how do you say them again? A, I think it's AWS. AWS, that's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they made a bare metal announcement, yeah. um, beta, Azure, GCP made some kind There's of... noise, yeah. Some kind of noise, yeah, yeah. Oracle before that. Yeah. Um, do announcements like that make you uncomfortable? I mean... Not really. It's great. I mean, there's the there's the short term in which it's all great. We're super focused on bare metal, so you know, big players like AWS and Oracle and Google coming out and promoting the value of that. It's not bad for us. It's quite good. The long term thing is much more interesting. Why? Why are they doing it? And I think we have a different reason why we're doing bare metal than AWS. I won't speak for them, but obviously they're looking at you know, from their announcement and from products they announced around it, and you know, this is an on-ramp for other workloads that currently, you know, don't work as well on a, you know, virtualized environment. So bare metal makes a lot of sense to bring over your Oracle or your VMware. Yeah, we see bare metal as kind of from the other way. We see workloads. It's not a religion per se. It's not like bare metal is better than VMs or containers are better than whatever. Sure. It's just about do you want to bring your own opinions to it. That's our, our standpoint. But the announcement we thought was great. I mean, the, what I found most interesting about AWS's bare metal product was how they did it. You know, the why I think we already talked about, the how was really cool. They basically did what anyone with a really big workload did, and they made custom hardware. So they made a custom NIC. You know, they, I think we're using, you know, a pretty fantastic Cavium product before, but now they bought Annapura Labs and developed their own silicon and put their hypervisor bits all into the offload. So they can have that experience of AWS and access to all those services, security, whatever, but just for them. Nothing generic about that. And that speaks more to what we're trying to do, which is we want to enable more people to do that. How do you customize your hardware experience to exactly what you need? And you know, the, the use cases around moving around your database, that's not really important to the same degree as uh, 30,000 self-driving taxis in New York. That's, mm -hmm. that's a little bigger. 
And so that's where we see hardware specialization coming, and the big clouds are just getting there first because they got the most workload. Mm -hmm. Do you see yourself customizing hardware for specific customers? So we already do, right? You so do. about 70% of our business is actually not in our public cloud. So our public cloud, we've got 18 locations. People come in, they sign up, they deploy, grab a server for an hour, keep it forever, whatever, but no customization. 70% of our business is actually private deployments where people like Hatch are coming and saying, like, I want the experience of the cloud. I want to consume it with Terraform. I want to be able to deploy it and lifecycle it and deal with it like easily with software. I but see. I need this special thing. Can you also put it in this special place? Or 50 special places. I see. So it's like a, more like a private cloud that's yeah. for them. Yeah, we're obviously not going up the stack into the cloud management of it. We're saying like we'll bring the infrastructure automation. And when I say lifecycling, I mean, a lot of people just deploy a server and never turn it off, mm -hmm. right? But that's less common these days, where it's like you're destroying, you're agile, you're moving things up and down. And then how do you deal with things like firmware? And how do you deal with security aspects of the hardware? Do you trust it? Uh, that's where we're really interested, uh, especially as you get to people talking about putting data centers at the uh, you know, cell phone tower instead of just in uh, Ashburn, Virginia with a bunch of security guards. Once, you know, when someone deploys like that uh, with you, this kind of private deployment, private deployment do they get the kind of elast elastic pricing that comes with um, elastic cost that comes with with public cloud? I mean, is it pay as you go or no? <laughs> no, no, it's not no. pay as you go in a right. private deployment, right? Yeah. Um, we are, you know, working on ways. We have a spot market, much like Amazon does. So we have a spot market for bare metal. So we are working for ways, and I think it's a super interesting question of how do people deploy exactly what they want, but then monetize and use elasticity, right? Yeah. For most of our customers. Capital isn't the problem here, right? It's not like, oh, do I need to start small and grow big because I only have you know, a startup's budget, right? These are people doing bigger things. The question is resource utilization then, and can they safely and you know, automatically say, you know, put out their resources that they're not using because they're a gaming company and they're only busy, I don't know, eight hours a day? Right? So I think that's a more interesting question. We do allow all of our private deployment people, of course, to you know, burst onto our public cloud. And frankly, most of them are deploying resources in lots of places. They're using S3. They're using a multi-cloud strategy, if you want to call it that. I see. Um, so it's not like we believe, necessarily, that they do it all with us. We're actually a pretty open company when it comes to that. And that's, I think, an interesting angle uh, for these kind of customers who are, frankly, looking to put more opinions, but they don't want to go in the data center. Yeah. They don't want to do that. Can you can you talk about opinions, opinionated infrastructure? You guys, it kind of comes in your uh, we say it a lot, literature huh? <laughs> quite a bit. Can yeah. you explain that? What's what's yeah, totally. opinionated versus unopinionated infrastructure? Yeah, well, certainly we have opinions too. So it's not to take the higher ground there. We kept, we try to keep our opinions really low. And what I mean by that is essentially when you deploy on someone else's cloud, right? You're kind of already buying a lot of their default opinions that you cannot change, right? Whether it's about which hypervisor they've chosen to use, right? Mm -hmm. Or uh, what they're going to share with you around networking, right? These are not your territory. In some ways, that's the whole idea. It's like, oh, that's way too difficult and doesn't add any value to me. I don't want to deal with it. But for, you know, as software kind of works its way down, I mean, two, three years ago, we were talking about, oh, what's that thing called Docker? And then now we're talking about, look at, you know, Kubernetes and all these other things trying to they're, they're pushing down to hardware. They're going to manage that for you. And so then the question is some people are like, 
can I do it this way versus that way? And when those opinions have already been set for you, you can say, well, sorry, this already comes with this decision around an L2 versus an L3. You don't get to choose that. Then I think that's what we're talking about. I see. Um, now, as you compete with, with these other you know, providers, the big ones, Amazon, yep. Azure, I think it's, it's probably inevitable that they are going to have full-fledged bare metal services all Absolutely, of them yeah. at some point in, in the near future. Um, is it difficult to maintain enough funding to continue scaling the footprint? To compete with them, these guys are spending you know, billions of dollars every totally, year. Totally, totally huge, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a great question. So, first of all, you know, once you survive for a couple of years, you start making money in the hosting business. But we're not really in the hosting business. That's right. what I would call like basically flipping capital, right? You know, and this is how we describe. I don't describe AWS as a amazing, you know, infrastructure company. They're an amazing logistics company with a really good cost of capital, and they know how to deploy servers. Sure and pretty good software. When it comes to capitalization, it's a great question. We're really kind of viewing the world in two different ways. One is a fully verticalized, right? So Amazon, Google, Microsoft. Microsoft, maybe you could discuss a little bit, but most of these are fully verticalized business models. They do everything from like designing their own offloads to like delivering you the API, the 300 different APIs that you could consume a service on top of. We kind of see it a little differently. We see a lot of opportunity, especially as things move faster and faster and need to be in more places or people want to add more opinions to them like we talked about, that that model gets really difficult to sustain. I mean, you saw it in something like Kubernetes where over the last two years, all the major clouds, I mean, Amazon especially, had to essentially adopt something that the community did. It's not like Amazon wasn't good at their container service, but that's how powerful this ecosystem is. Right. Um, so I think when it comes to capitalization, we're looking to splice that stack a little bit more like you would say a hotel, okay? Where the Ritz-Carlton, when they open in Dubai, does not like own the land, build the building, design the thing, market the rooms, you know, serve the coffee. They don't do that. They do brand and experience. And someone else builds the building and you know does the local regulations and deploys capital in a real estate, you know trust and all sure. those other aspects. And I think there's some really neat opportunity for that if we look at basically are there a thousand or two thousand companies in the world that are going to want to do it their way? Mm -hmm. And if so, how can we as an industry, which is we're talking ODMs and OEMs and data center real estate people and everything else, work together to deliver that experience in an awesome way? Because if it's not awesome, they won't buy it. I mean, if it's like it is now where it's essentially harder to get a server into Hong Kong than it is to get a satellite into space, like you're not gonna get people who wanna buy a lot of it. Mm -hmm. They're gonna buy the thing that's polished and done. But if you can, if you can give them a way to get into that innovation that's happening over at Intel and the Optane Group or Qualcomm and their Centrique or you know all these specialized things that are happening, billions of dollars of value, right now most of the value goes into the hyperscalers, right? right? How can that go to you know Dropbox? essentially, more easily. How can it go to the next thing that isn't even figured out yet? And so I didn't answer your question about lots of money. We're certainly capitalizing our company. That's an interesting question, and it's a really difficult one to do in a standard way in terms of selling equity or whatnot. Is it, I mean, how can you fund a you know, potentially billion-dollar or multi-billion-dollar capital need? Right. You need a lot of debt. You need to have good access to that, and that's why our first fund 
raised as packet was not from a VC firm, but from a strategic. We rose from, you know, from SoftBank, right? Mm -hmm. And that's allowed us to work a little bit differently in terms of we focus on how do we, you know, enhance our ability to uh, borrow cheaply and leverage our current cost of capital and improve that. But also look at how do we leverage other people in the ecosystem, suppliers. How do people move forward who are currently sitting on the back and say, hey, Packet, you take all the risk. Buy all my servers and put them in data centers and wait for someone to buy them. Well, there's a way in which a lot of those people are coming to us and saying, actually, we see you as a route to market. How do we help support that? And it's not giving us money. That's a matter of like, let's rev share. Let's push it a little further together. Uh, instead of Packet buys all the things on our bad you know, cap table and tries to uh, sure. sell it to some developers. So at least at this point, from what I understand, it's kind of a work in progress, but yeah. um, you slice, so you slice that stack. Mm -hmm. um, so which slices would be the packet slices at this point? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right now we do more of it than we want on the capital side. We're flexible with our private deployments, whether we you know, do the capital, right? We buy all the hardware and then they rent it back from us, or if they, and we have some customers, very interesting ones who are like, I don't have a problem with money. I'll buy the equipment and depreciate it. Package just provides the software. We provide the automation. I see. So that's, I think, where we see more of it coming, where we're going to be on the software side of things. We're going to be on the experience side. We're going to be on the logistics, the importing, you know, unless we can push more of that down to our suppliers. Um, but our value really is about knowing the customer. I mean, that's our true value. Servers, I mean, they're hard, but they're not, it's not rocket science. Right. You know, and I think you know it's that. It's been from, done before. It's been done before. And I think we're really good at it because we're focused. So we do about 60,000 deploys every month. Bare metal, we fail less than 1% of the time. Happens in eight minutes. We're pretty good at that. Currently, that's a hyperscaler like um, core competency. Right. We're looking to make that available to more people. And so I think we will see more of that you know, stack sliced more than it is now. Right now, we have to take a little bit more than we, we probably want. I see. Is, are you guys profitable right now? Um, every time we're profitable, we start to grow again, and we get less profitable. So we have been break-even um, since you know late late last year, uh, but then we grow. The market's just too big. Talk about your uh, recent deal with uh, Vapor.io and mm -hmm. Crown Castle, edge computing at the edge. At the super edge? At the super edge, the super, super edge. extreme edge. Well, we're at the edge right now, Yevgeny, so I mean... We're here. <laughs> Are we? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Like downtown. Downtown San Francisco. Great. We're the edge. Yes. Yeah. So we have, um, so it's, so first of all, we love the Vapor guys and it's been great to partner with them. Um, what we announced was sort of a 5G as a service, which really uh, is essentially packaging, right? For right. how can we combine a new kind of data center with a customer who uh, you know, is looking to deploy something special. And just to clarify before we go further, you're not actually providing 5G connectivity Correct. as a service, right? You're, That's right. Okay. Let's just yeah, it's really the enabling part of it, right? Okay, you have spectrum. Uh, but putting, putting hardware in lots of places or even in very few places is not that easy for telecoms. They don't have a great track record of it. They, they spend don't. a lot of money, they deploy a lot of gear, but it takes time, it's pretty expensive. Lowering the cost of capital if they're going to compete with people who are certainly interested in being in their space. You look at the Googles of the world, and they're not like ignoring how to be in the phone business. Sure. They're pretty interested in that. Yeah. You know, the Comcasts of the world are not, you know, leaving the last mile to someone else, right? So I think we see in the telco space especially a lot, that's like kind of the first edge workload. They need to reduce their cost of capital. Big way that they can do that with 5G coming is not backhaul all that to Kansas. 
you know, process it at the edge, tag it, redirect it, do all the things that telcos do. But deploying equipment in 200 cities and dealing with it, that's pretty hard. Especially when, you know, as an industry, like a lot of other industries, the teleco industry has moved a lot of the expertise away. They've either outsourced it or, you know, figured out how to kind of, you know, cut those costs and move them around. They're trying to be in the, you know, in the service delivery business versus the infrastructure business, like a lot of other people. It's kind of weird for a while when they were selling data centers and then at the same time talking about how, how we're building all these cloud data centers yeah. to support the edge. Yeah. Okay, so what are you guys doing? Most of the telcos have, on? you know, offloaded a lot of their portfolios. And I think, I don't want to, I mean, I don't know why they do it, but I think there's a lot of, lot of opportunity both for in-market telcos and for out-of-market telcos. So let's just take a great example. You're, and I'm totally making this up, so this is not real, but you're just a, I don't know, European telco, you're Deutsche Telekom or something, and you have a great contract with Audi to provide connectivity services for their thing worldwide. Right. How do you put infrastructure in 50 U.S. cities to do the IoT collection thingamajigger that you want to do, right? <laughs> I think that that is, you know, just a sort of like focuses the point a little bit on what we're trying to do with Vapor, which is simply servers in more places further out. I mean, I, we believe right now that the edge currently is where the internet connects. That's the Equinix and that's the DRT. But it's a little bit of a chicken and the egg. And I, you know, we like to call it more of a peg-legged race. You know, how do you push the workload and the infrastructure out to where there's a lot of opportunity for it to innovate? And I think that that's what's exciting about working with Cole and the Vapor guys is because they're like so focused on what's next. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a company, we are too. We're focused on building for the next 10 years, not the last 10 years. And we see Edge as a big part of that. There's a lot of questions. How's it going to work? Um, but that's why we're doing it. That's why we're deploying together. And I think that we're going to, we already have, and I think we will continue to see a lot of interest from people who, like telecos, have big workloads. They need to deploy them rapidly with special things. Yeah. And you guys are going to be deploying at uh, cell towers, correct? Uh, yeah. We're, our first site's in Chicago, right? At a mm -hmm. Crown Castle cell tower. That's a Vapor's back-end partners. Mm -hmm. um, When's you know, that coming online? So, you know, it's probably going to be up, I mean, I'm not in the actual data center business, I guess, but it's later this spring, early summer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're basically... There's, we're, I know we're going to Chicago in April to go see yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and get some servers in there. So. <laughs> Are you going to, like, break champagne over them? Hopefully not. We don't break champagne on servers. <laughs> They're very expensive. <laughs> At least one of Cole's uh, boxes. Yeah, maybe we should try it just to yeah. test the weatherization. So you basically, you, you want to... You're assuming someone like Deutsche Telekom, out of these out-of-market mm -hmm. uh, telcos, will want infrastructure soon once the 5G arrives, and you want to build it so it's in place when they need it, right? There's that's, that's absolutely is that the basic that's basically idea. It. So they yeah. don't have to and do it on their own. This isn't total guesswork. I mean, obviously, we're invested in by a telecom. SoftBank is at heart a mobile phone company. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know that space pretty well. Um, and so we talk to a lot of them. We don't assume that it'll just work, but these are the kinds of issues they're dealing with. And we want to be really good at them. We think the service model, and that's why we you know, worked with Vapor to brand it essentially as 5G as a service, because it sort of captures the spirit of the cloud deployment. That is really, it's not about capital necessarily or OPEX, CAPEX, or it's really about the consumption experience. Can I do this easier, more cheaply from a, operation standpoint can i get it done in an hour instead of a year i mean that's like that's the golden goose for a lot of businesses and i think for 
the telecom industry as well. Mm. I think the other things will come later. You know, we're talking to a lot of people right now in the Valley here on this trip right now who are doing, you know, AI analytics services for autonomy. Um, it's early days, right? But they are coming to us and saying, uh, we just need to be in six or seven locations in a city. Mm-hmm. That would work our, for our topology of data collection. And you're like, you've never deployed a server, have you? That doesn't exist right now. Right. And so I think that's the kind of thing where you have software innovators who don't know those limitations. When they worked at Google, the data center wasn't a problem. The guy who worked at Google, and he's a software developer who's got the newest, greatest, next idea for how to help cars not run into each other or monetize you know, the coffee shop downstairs better, whatever. When they worked at Google, the infrastructure wasn't a problem. And so there's some of that naivete, I think, that comes to the world of cloud that says, like, oh, cool, I could just deploy in more places. And you're like, actually, that's not solved yet. You know, we're living through a time of cloud, which means centralization, pretty much. Even if, like, you know, AWS has 18 or 20, you know, really distinct zones, only 18 or 20. It's not 100. It's not 1,000. You pick cities with over a million people, and you've got hundreds of them. So I think that's kind of, to me, the ultimate, is can we help you know, software, which is really the customer here, can we help software buy infrastructure and buy it the way that you know, it may see fit, which could be, I just need six or seven locations in San Francisco, like downtown, with my special thing that has a you know, fancy offload card in it that someone made. That should be no problem. <laughs> it's a big problem right now. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're working to, to try to solve. Thank you so much, Jacob. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>